And selling is about communication. It's about you know asking the right questions. It's about creating the need, finding a compelling event. It's all that good stuff that we know. And as a leader, I'm going to spend the time helping you get to where you want to be. Hello, 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 everyone. This is the Sales Development Podcast, and I am so thrilled this week. I've been trying to get this guy on the show for months. Um, he's a very, very busy man because he's a major thought leader in the sales development space and in the sales space in general. Um, I'd like to introduce Russ Hurl, the VP of Sales at PatSnap. Russ, how are you doing today? Hey, David. I'm doing well. Pleased to be with you. Like I said, I mean, you are a very busy man, hard to pinned down, but I'm so excited to have you on the show. Russ, I originally met you at one of the Topo Roundtables, um, I believe a long time ago, yeah, which uh, was a platform for you to go into how you design and develop sales development teams. And you've done that at a few different companies. Just for the listeners out there who aren't familiar with your background, um, how did you get involved in sales and sales development and um, end up uh, at your current position at PatSnap? Yeah, I mean, um, it's almost interesting to think where I've been and how I've gotten to where I'm at because my my career, I guess, in selling started a long time ago, about over 20 years ago in uh, um, Ohio, working for Rolling Stone magazine, did a bunch of cold calling when I was uh, basically a teenager. And, you know, when I went off to do my undergrad, ended up also doing cold calling for Merrill Lynch for four years. And so by the time I got out of my undergraduate program, in Arizona, um, I had already had about six years worth of cold calling experience. And it was to me, it was just, you know, natural to think that, you know, the basis of a sales career was going to be built around cold calling and basically making it rain on your own. And so when I got into the work world, like um, I worked for FedEx for about seven years doing sales, you know, selling to very large companies in Silicon Valley, you know, companies like Intel and HP, you know, doing, you know, huge multi-million dollar deals at a, a pretty young age. But one of the things that I recognized at, at an early stage of my career was, was that cold calling, prospecting, identifying who's in your target market, and really tailoring your pitch to, you know, what we now call buyer personas, wasn't called that back then, you know, really was the reason why I got promoted so quickly over the years and, and why I had so much uh, so much opportunity for myself. And so as you know, as I progressed and I, you know, my career evolved, you know, getting into software where whether it was working at salesforce.com or you know working internationally, building sales teams at companies like Career Builder and now a company that I'm with called PatSnap, you know, cold calling was always the basis of the success, not only my own success, but my team's success. And so it's really something I've been really passionate about. I've seen over the years, like the evolution of the discipline, whether it was with the advent of social selling back in 2003, with the, uh, the rise of LinkedIn, you know, to um, you know, to what we now call account-based marketing, account-based selling, which is you know, kind of existed in some form for quite some time as well. And, and through and through, you know, I've always had this passion for building businesses on the basis of just the basic building blocks of sales, which to me is like picking up the phone and intelligently making a call and having a conversation with someone. And so over the years, my, you know, as, as my career evolved into, you know, I worked at uh, a company that raised $82 million called Double Dutch. Uh, we built that company 
in a, a short period of time from from nothing to you know more than twenty million dollars in ARR on the backs of really sales development. You know, in that case, I ran you know, account executives and sales development for the mid market, which was high velocity sales. But the hallmark or the the building block of that business was definitely sales development because over ninety percent of our our wins came from outbound cold calls, intelligently targeting the market. So it's really been something, David, that I've, I've done my entire career. Uh, I really felt like leading up to, to my current role at PatSnap, you know, this, this has been something that I've, I've always enjoyed doing and, and teaching people. And so now as a VP of inside sales at PatSnap, I've got a team of over 45 people spread across uh, two offices now. Uh, one in London, which is where I'm based, which is kind of the reason why it's hard to get a hold of me uh, is really because of the time zone differences. And then also here in uh, Southern California, where I sit at, at this moment, uh, building out our office uh, with one of my colleagues here, our first U.S. office. So at PatSnap, you know, we have a very large investment in inside sales. And so 45 sales development reps spread across enterprise, mid-market, and then SMB government is how we segment it. But what we sell, in case you're interested, you know, we sell innovation intelligence software. So it's basically business intelligence software for all of the world's IP. So think of it as almost every patent from every country around the world translated back into English, and then machine learning that makes sense of all this unstructured data to be able to highlight where there might be opportunities to innovate in the market. So it's like a vertically integrated business intelligence platform. We sell it to research and development professionals, uh, M&A folks in large companies, competitive intelligence people. So it's basically a massive business intelligence platform that is underpinned by over 120 million patents from around the world. And so it's it's a really, really interesting company. And and every company of a certain size or greater can be a potential target for us. So really excited about the future. We just raised a large Series C from Sequoia. So we're backed by uh, some really great investors. And uh, the future looks really bright. I want to dig in more about PathSnap. That is such an interesting concept. I mean, that's just beyond, uh, you know, anything that I had thought of. And another thing that before we move into that, I, I, you mentioned cold calling a few times during, you know, your development in this space. And it seems like if you follow LinkedIn or on Twitter, there's a lot of confusion about cold calling and people are trying to figure out if it still has a place and there's all this debate going on. So you've built a career on success in that area. What are your thoughts on the whole debate and where we are now in 2017 with cold calling? That's a a very controversial question, I would say, because people have different points of view. And and I would say it really just depends. it's just like in economics, like it, it, uh, it, it always depends. And, and I think the reason why it depends is because your chosen go-to-market strategy is often predicated upon how much built-in demand there is in the market for your product or service. And so if you're selling a product that already has an established, let's say you're, you're, set, let's say you're at HubSpot. And you know, at HubSpot, you call it inbound marketing, but let, let's face it, it was is really an email marketing tool that competed with the likes of Constant Contact, Exact Target, so on and so forth. So there were a lot of vendors in that market already. You know, HubSpot came along and did a great job carving out their own category. But the the point is, is that there was built-in demand. Now they had to reframe the conversation. They did a great job of that. But when you have that type of a situation, 
the role of cold calling is different than if you have the situation that most businesses that I know of, including PatSnap face, which is no one knows who the heck you are. No one even realizes they have a need for the product that you sell. And the only way that you're going to be able to get a foot in the door is if you do outbound. And so, you know, the whole notion that, you know, cold calling is dead, I guess, depends on uh, several factors, not the least of which is, is like how much exogenous demand exists in the marketplace for your product. And in the, in the case of most businesses, and I would argue it's like 99% of the businesses, we're not running inbound shops. There's not that many inbound leads coming in. And so it really necessitates uh, a thoughtful yet aggressive strategy for reaching out into the market that's predicated upon real data, statistical analysis, regression analysis, you know, what have you to be able to understand, you know, what works and what doesn't. Um, But I do think that there's in most businesses, because of the nature of the technology products we sell, there's there's a significant need for intelligent outbound prospecting that incorporates ver- data variables to help you target the market effectively so you can minimize the amount of wasted effort. But there again, it's a very controversial subject because there are there are a lot of vested interests at play. What I've learned over the years, David, is you have to look at who's making the prognostications. So in some cases, you've got people making claims about like the future of sales development or, you know, just the future of the sales occupation in general. And, you know, I'm not saying that they're being misleading, but just just be aware of which vendors they work for, uh, because there might be a vested interest in them uh, having you see it their way. But look, I mean, at PatSnap, a very significant percentage of our our wins, and we've had over 2,000, we've landed over 2,000 customers in just about four years' time since the company started commercializing the product, they almost all came from outbound cold calling. So, you know, for someone to say that, you know, cold calling is dead or, you know, it's fundamentally changed, uh, I mean, there are elements that have changed, certainly the advent of technology as more of an assistive tool for someone in sales has has both helped and hindered but you know it's it's uh it's something that still is a great tool today and and i would argue too with with the amount of uh, just noise in the marketplace the amount of content marketing that's taking place everyone's on the bandwagon with you know hey top seven you know reasons why you should do X, Y, and Z, and, and people become really fatigued with that. So I, I think that the, there's no replacement for an intelligent outreach that engages someone in a conversation in real time, not over email, not a tweet, but engaging someone. And in fact, you know that's how we need we need to do it to develop our sales reps so that they can become an account executive at some point, if we're talking about sales development rep, you know, career pathing. So it's, it's a, it's kind of a loaded question and I could probably talk about it, you know, kind of, uh, philosophically for a long time, but, um, hopefully that gives you some insight. Is your sales development program firing on all cylinders? Are your people processes and technology aligned to get you the appointments pipeline and close one you need to be able to hit your goals? Finding experts in the field of sales development is a real struggle, but you have to hit your pipeline numbers today, not sometime in the future when you can step back and take a wider look at your program. TenBound is ready to help. Head over to TenBound.com for more information and to sign up for a free assessment of your current program. That's TenBound.com.
Yeah, a lot there. Thank you. That, that was awesome. One thing I wrote down is don't swallow whole whatever you see, kind of dig in more and see, you know, who's actually saying this and what are they involved with? And could there be something behind their argument that they're making? And I, I also think like if a, a lot of the people that listen to this are SDRs or they want to get into SDR management or they're managing a team, mm-hmm. you know, say some someone, you know, they want to take their cold calling to the next level and really start to use some of the techniques that you're talking about using real data and analysis to understand what's working and what's not. What are two or three things that they could do to start that process of taking cold calling from just sort of, okay, here's a list and here's, you know, some info, go have at it to really making it more data driven? Well, I mean, it, I mean, I guess it's kind of cliche, but it always starts with the targeting um, if, if someone uh, is being led to believe either through their own activities or through you know, reading you know, supposed thought leaders on LinkedIn that cold calling is, is not effective and therefore they should probably just cop out and send emails all day. What, what I'd always ask those individuals is like, well, how do you really know that you're targeting the right accounts to begin with? Because usually that's where you see most of the wastage in in people's activities is they, you know, they, they, they're not finding success maybe in, you know, because they're just, they're reaching out to accounts that we should already reasonably be, know that are probably not in our ideal customer profile. And so I would start with like, make sure that you're putting together you know, either yourself, if it's a small company or you've got a sales operations team, like what we have, you know, centrally, um, uh, determined territories that have, accounts uh, account lists that are you know companies that we already know are in the industry or ha- have some sort of characteristics that you know would tell us that these are good accounts to call on and then once you start reaching into those accounts you, you know make sure that there there is a method to the madness in terms of the 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 outreach cadence that you're using and you know if if you, I mean, there's a lot of research that we've all seen, whether it's from InsideSales.com or Topo or Bridge Group, that basically says that most sales reps give up too soon. And so, uh, you know, make sure that there's um, a method to the madness in how you're reaching out to these contacts. So the right accounts, the right contacts, and then make sure it's all tracked in in whatever CRM tool you're using, and then measure your conversion rates in terms of, you know, how many calls does it take to get to a conversation? How many conversations does it take to get to a demo? How many demos does it take for there to be actually a real qualified opportunity? And this may sound fairly elementary to, to guys like ourselves, but I think to new people, um, coming into the occupation, new sales development reps, and even young managers, team leads, what have you. These are, you know, these are fairly, you know, new concepts to them. So, um, just setting it up so that you can instrument it, so you can measure all of that, and, and then, you know, then ask yourself the question: How are we doing relative to some benchmark? You know, if I've got a, if I've got a 17% call to conversation rate, is that good? How would we know if that's good? You know, and you, you need to then compare your business and like, are you again, you, do you have a lot of inbound leads coming in? Because if so, then, you know, maybe a 70 percent call to conversation rate or a 20 percent conversation demo rate is too low. Um, but you just ha- you have to put things into context and do your own benchmarking against businesses that have similar market dynamics for you to be able to, to answer questions as to like, 
are we doing as well as or better than companies that have a similar market dynamic? And then you can start asking the question, are we doing as well as or better than the companies that we directly compete with? That's like really what you want to get to because, you know, one of the reasons why you have a sales development team is really to, to, you know, find opportunities and build pipeline, obviously. But there's also this other piece that most people don't talk about that if you're really smart about sales development, um, it, it becomes a way for you to erect barriers to entry um, through sales execution in markets where, let's face it, like from a technological perspective, the barriers to entry are reducing on a daily basis. Like you, you can, you can find cheap labor to build you apps. You can, um, you can build stuff on top of platforms, um, and it's reducing like the the moat around a lot of the technology businesses. But you know, you can absolutely create. Uh, competitive advantage through sales development. And so you want to start to find out like, hey, if I'm a sales development manager or team lead, like, do I think we are uh, sucking the oxygen out of the market so that, you know, competitors are going to have a hard time competing? That is where sales development transcends, you know, just like, you know, running your head into the, into a brick wall, cold calling and hoping you're going to get different results to this is really a strategic function for the business that um, has the ability to leave impressions in the minds of pe- people in the market the same way that marketing might, you know, take out impressions uh, from banner ads or billboards or what have you. So um, that's the way I would encourage sales development leaders to be thinking about instrumenting the, the go to market. So those those key performance indicators that I mentioned and then be asking yourself, how are we doing relative to the to our competitive set? And then how might we be doing relative to our benchmark you know, companies that have similar market dynamics? Great, great advice. Oh, there's so much there. It's very easy to say and harder to implement. So even people who are listening are like, oh, you know, I, I, I'm doing that already. But are you and, and it, it, how well are you doing you can get information on your competitors and other similar industries through groups like Topo and Bridge Group who work with a lot of different companies and they can give you those benchmarks. How are you really doing? And if you missed any of those steps, then you need to go back and either do it yourself or work with your sales ops folks. And it's it's tough. It's not easy. And that's that's why. Right. Well, and I think that's why you're starting to see in many organizations a merging of what what may have been three different disciplines, so sales ops, sales development, and even sales strategy into one leadership structure, because it, it is difficult to, to implement what I just talked about um, uh, unless you have Salesforce, like if you're using Salesforce.com, you know, really deep expertise on how to you know, set up Salesforce. If you're relying upon external contractors or Salesforce partners to do a lot of that, you're just not going to be moving at the speed at which you can if, if you are, let's say, you know, a VP of, of inside sales who owns, let's say, strategy, ops, and sales development. And so you're seeing, I'm seeing anyways, a trend more towards the combination of those roles into one org structure because it is difficult to implement some of these things. You need someone who has been there and done that before in organizations of a certain size to be able to execute on that. It is. And a few years ago, the the CRO came out as a title, you know, who yeah. would be in charge of revenue and, and bringing in 
money from through mm-hmm. prospecting or through closing the deals or even over customer success. But it seems like the CRO title has just morphed into it's basically a VP of sales. But I think what you're talking about more is having someone who is got deep experience in operations strategy and working with the SDRs and even even in further up the funnel in demand gen and trying to organize and structure that to really optimize the whole program. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they're all very much interconnected and closely related. If you're one of the 98 percent of businesses that have to rely on outbound to get most of your opportunities, you'll start to realize that the linchpin of the organization is your ability to, to to effectively, smartly target the market and penetrate that market and do so at a you know, the lowest cost basis, capital efficient method possible. And that's where I think, uh, I mean, I think in the case of a CRO, you see CROs you know, spanning multiple boundaries. I mean, it's, it's not just uh, sales, it's also account management and customer success. So that makes sense to me. Um, I see like the emergence of this type of a role that I've been speaking about being more of something that would report into that CRO. And so I, I've, I've started to see that in a lot of companies and certainly like in my company at PatSnap. And that's a lot of the work that I'm doing. You know, you look at the SDR function and it's obviously about meetings and building a pipeline and then, you know, creating bench strength for your sales team. You know, one thing that I would add also is market intelligence to understand what's the competitive landscape looks like, who are the other players, when are the contracts coming up and stuff like that. Carrie Simpson came on the show and talked about how she organizes that. It's a really good one if you want to, you guys want to go back and listen to it. And then one thing that you added, which is really interesting, is if you set up a efficient outbound sales machine, you can erect barriers to competition and suck the air out of the room. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Well, it, it, it's um, I, we certainly did this at Double Dutch. And at Double Dutch, we, we made millions of cold calls in the market over the course of the three plus years that I was there. And uh, we just we made it very difficult for companies to be able to compete because we were out in front of the opportunities way before any of our competitors could get out in front of them. That is uh, it's a a bit unfair for me to say that because we did raise, uh, you know, 80 plus million dollars and we had resources to hire those people. Not every business is in that position, obviously. But certainly there is an approach there that works where you can get out in front of businesses before they realize they have the need. You know, I think the, the, the biggest thing that concerns me about a lot of the messaging that's going out to SDRs from you know, supposed thought leaders and you know, self-interested companies who have a product to sell, and I get it, you know, most of the purchasing decision has already been made before you, the sales rep speaks to that individual. And, and I would very clearly state that if that's the case for, for your market, the people you're calling on, you've already failed because if you're waiting for them to somehow just nurture themselves by reading a bunch of, you know, kind of loaded content um, and then going to uh, the competitor sites and doing the research, I think you've already lost the race. And so a, a real strong sales development functions, you know, basically is set up so that you can get, get out in front of the market and the, the companies in your ICP and you can dictate that agenda. And, and you're the one who are, you know, you're the company 
who's raising the issue and you know helping them understand that you know whatever it is they're doing today is you know far apart from where they really need to be whatever it is that you know you can do for them to help them bridge that gap and that's that's really the strategic function of sales development now you asked me a question a moment ago like what what some of the what are some of the data points that you might use in order to inform account selection and be really smart about that it's really going to depend on you know that the industry that a company is in you know in the case of, of double dutch you know we used data on like upcoming events because we sold software for conferences and events and so we knew the dates of events we knew that we had a 45-day sales cycle. We knew that people typically bought 90 days prior to the event. And so we could time our outreach. So we didn't have to wait for people to, you know, raise their hand and say, hey, I'm ready for a demo. You know, we, we can time the market. Not every business has that um, opportunity. You know, finding a compelling event is often the hardest thing to do in sales. But there's always something you know, in the case of PatSnap, you know, we sell an innovation intelligence uh, software platform. You know, we know that companies that produce the most patents are probably the the best candidates for our solution. And so we target the market on the basis of that. And then it's just about like being aggressive and getting out in front of several stakeholders within those accounts and, and making sure that you are driving that narrative and not waiting for them to basically come up with the narrative on their own or through, you know, reading competitor white papers and all that stuff. I love that. I mean, I, I think that if folks on the phone haven't thought about compelling events and how it relates to your business, stop everything and lock yourself in a room and think about that because it warms up the call a little bit. If you know that a contract is coming up or an event is coming up and you know your sales cycle and when you should time the call, Get that information, plug it, put it into Salesforce, report on it, surface it, get it in front of the SDRs. It can drive behavior. It can drive their calls. It can you can even drive you know marketing campaigns around if you know that a certain cohort is coming up for contract renewal in six months and that's how long it takes to close a deal. That's a great way to kind of schedule things. The the most common. You know, data point that you can use that I think a lot of companies and sales development reps um, may not be paying much attention to um, that, that is applicable to pretty much any type of business, uh, any product that you're selling or business you're selling to is like, when's your fiscal year end? Like, because, you know, not every company has a calendar um, calendar year. And so you can always find reasons to do some sort of clever campaign, uh, outbound uh, campaign around like, okay, so it's right now it's the end of February. Um, we have a list of all the accounts that we have in our CRM that have a fiscal year end of April, April 30th, let's say. And there might be way more of those accounts that are in your ICP than you even have, you know, manpower to call. So like it, because, because we know that if it's getting close to the end of their fiscal year, they're talking about, you know, they're, they're budgeting for their next fiscal. Now's probably a good time to reach out. That's like a very simple example of like, how to you can potentially time the market when it comes to your outreach and get a 20-30% uplift in your conversions for all the hard work of cold calling and emailing and you know running demos and that that little change in terms of just like being smarter about when you target the market can yield huge benefits all the way to the bottom line the work is already being done you're 
SDRs are making the calls. They're talking to people all day. They're sitting in on meetings. The, the information is flowing, and it's just a question of capturing it, reporting on it, surfacing it so that it can drive higher conversion rates. So, yeah, yeah. definitely. If you're not well, doing that, yeah, do it. I have like I'm just because I've been doing this for so long. I've had this like this treasure trove of 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 comparisons or analogies. And the way I see it is, if if you're let's say over the course of the day you make 60 calls if you're an SDR, and 20 of those calls were into accounts that we really had no business calling into because maybe their fiscal year end, you know, if we're using that, you know, continue on with this conversation here, their fiscal year end was not for another six months from now. Those 20 calls could have been um, levied into accounts where their fiscal year end in this example was within the next two months. And so the way I look at it is almost like the same way that a hotel or an airline looks at the perishability of like a hotel room or an airline seat, you know, if, if you, if that seat goes unused, you know, that revenue is gone forever. And so I look at it as those calls, those 20 calls you, that you made into those accounts, that's very perishable. You should have, you could have, if you had access to data and you were smartly targeting the market, made 20, those 20 calls into accounts that um, were more, had a better predisposition to potentially buying in the near future. And so this all has ramifications in terms of cash flow, you know, the financial health of your business. And I, I think too many sales leaders overlook that fact. Um, they don't pay attention to some of those variables. And, you know, they, they basically delay the recognition of revenue. And they don't realize it, but they're delaying rev, RevRec because of top of the funnel targeting decisions that are not getting made. And, and or they're they're leaving it up to the SDR to make too many of those decisions. And as we know, like if you're hiring young sales development reps, they're learning a lot, but they don't necessarily know all the things that a senior leader who should be constructing a centralized strategy that everyone you know follows is going to know. And so I think there, there's so much that we can do at a systematic level and, um, within our companies to make sure that we minimize the amount of wasted effort calling into accounts that we may not have any business calling into at this moment. And, you know, everyone, though, wants to talk about, like, more of the art behind the cold call, like what do you, exactly what you say. And, and that's all important stuff, too. Don't get me wrong. But that's not where the waste is. That, and that's not where you, you know, you're having your most significant um, challenges with accelerating the cash flow of your business. It's really in like uh, at, at the top of the funnel account selection. And that, maybe that's the reason why account-based selling is getting so much play as of late. I don't know. But um, I do believe that that is where the biggest opportunity to bend the curve exists in most of our sales organizations. I think that the lack of planning ends up having ramifications on the SDR manager because a lot of times if things aren't going well and nobody can figure out what's going on with the SDR team, then immediately it's, you know, like becomes a finger pointing thing. Yeah, that's exactly what happens, David. Um, and and that, that is kind of the bane of my existence in, in some cases because 
what we're trying to do in, in say, inside sales in, in, in a lot of our companies is we're trying to improve the transparency of the inputs that it takes to get to the outputs. And if you don't have um, the same level, uh, the, like almost philosophical alignment with the next stage of the sales process, which is the account executives who have to work the opportunities that are found by the SDRs, you're going to you're going to set up a situation where it's very easy for, say, uh, a VP of sales to say, look, I didn't make my number because the, the leads were crap. Right. Mm-hmm. And. Um, but you know, where, whereas, you know, you look at the opportunities and you're like, Hey, there's no data in any of these opportunities. There's no opportunity management. And so you just want to prevent that type of finger pointing by making sure that there's, you know, adoption of the CRM. There's an understanding of what the process is, what constitutes a, you know, a sales accepted lead or whatever you call it. Um, so that you can minimize the unproductive conflict that exists in a lot of the organizations that we work in. There's other ways to do that, too, by the way, in terms of like organizational design and in terms of how you abstract away the sales development team from the account executive team so that, you know, there, there's no um, uh, perverse incentives for account executives to be. Uh, doing research all day, sending over to SDRs accounts that they really want them to call into. Um, and those are accounts that aren't in the ICP. The AE closes it, high fives all around. 12 months later, that account churns. You know, those types of things that happen in a lot of our organizations can be um, can be weeded out through proper just incentive alignment and organizational design and, and job design, quite frankly. You know, what, what, what is the role of the SDR entail? What does an AE entail? Um, and these are details that are that that you don't hear talked about that often, um, but are probably the most important details to get right early on. Because if you have to change this when you scale past 100 sales reps, it becomes very painful to change it. Yeah, you, you got to have a good foundation in place. And I want to dig in more on that, but there's a couple of things um, that I, I wrote down I want to ask you about. Um, one is, say you've got this, you've got a pretty good strategy put in place. You've touched on a lot of the data points that you're talking about throughout the funnel and aligning the organization, but you, you've got SDRs who are on the floor and changing up the strategy, changing up the templates, kind of doing their own thing. And um, one thing that you mentioned is giving up too easily. So they get to the third or fourth call and they go, uh, I know that it says I'm supposed to call six times, but I'll just call three or four times and then click, click, click. And it's like, how as a manager do you police all that? Because, you know, say you've got like six people on the team or 12 people on the team. You can't just sit there and, and say like, hey, you're not following the strategy that I put in. Yeah, I mean, the reality is it's very difficult to do because the <laughs> – there are a lot of other priorities that take precedence um, in, in a typical day for a frontline SDR manager. A lot of coaching, you know, a lot of uh, development, but there does need to be like a, a spot check every once in a while to see if the process is being followed. I mean, I know that there are tools out there. There are vendors who sell products that allow you to kind of enforce it and then measure it. You could also instrument it in just in, in Salesforce.com. If you have a good sales ops person, you know they can show you like they can um, create formula fields around like uh, the number of attempts on a contact and 
you know, you can start to measure if they're following your, you know, pre-approved cadence. Um, but you know, the, the thing that I do at a very tactical level and, um, this is quite simple is like we use an, a, a syntax or a nomenclature for our activities. So, you know, you schedule upcoming activities if you're an SDR and if, if it's your first attempt, the subject line says first attempt, if it's a second attempt, you know, it's a second attempt. And so that what happens is the frontline sales, um, development manager, can quickly see like, okay, are you following the cadence or are you abandoning it? And so it, it, it's basically just oversight and there are going to be reps who, who don't follow the process. But one of the things that, that I've found has been probably the biggest driver of the type of behavior that we want to see from sales development reps, at least I want to see, um, is, is using the comp plan to, modulate their behavior. So for example, um, if you said, look, uh, all I really care about is you get to 80 activities a day, you know, come hook or crook, they're going to find a way to get to 80 activities. What you'll probably find is that they, they will send 60 emails and they'll make 20 half-hearted calls. Making calls is what you want them to do. And so what, what you can do is to reinforce your sequencing or your cadence you can basically build it into the comp plan where you say, okay, if I expect you to do 80 activities a day times the number of business days that you work, I'm only going to consider meaningful activities. And a meaningful activity is defined as, I don't know, just say left voicemail, spoke to contact, spoke to decision maker. It doesn't include email sending. And when you do that, then you, you just through the comp plan, you use that as a lever to get them to exhibit the behavior that you already know because you have the data is directly correlated to, you know, an uplift in conversions. And so you get, there are ways to use the comp plan as, as a, as, as a way to get them to follow, you know, the, the process, because look, if you said to somebody, I don't really care how you get to 20 demos a month or whatever the number is, just get there. Uh, I mean, I do care on some level, but I don't care about the process that you use. What you'll find is that, especially younger salespeople, is they'll take the path of least resistance, which is, you know, I totally understandable. And the path of least resistance is um, not necessarily the one that's directly correlated to the highest conversion rate. So, and I would argue it almost never is. Um, and that's why you see just the bombardment of SDR sending out emails with clever subject lines. And like everyone's talking about, like, how do I get someone to respond to my email? And it's just it's what we should be talking about is how, how do we develop sales development reps to be able to have conversations with human beings on the phone or in person, because that is the skill that's going to enable them to become an account executive, not how clever your subject line is. And if you as an SDR are doing A-B testing on your emails, that's something that marketing should do. So I, I think it's just making sure that you design the role properly you compensate them to drive the behaviors. And when you do that, you will get adherence, not all the time, but you'll get, you'll definitely get much more compliance to your, your sequencing or cadence for uh, your sales development team. Definitely. So design the process, tie it to comp because everyone's worried about, you know, making their money. Definitely. And then for SDRs, don't get replaced by a robot. You know, I mean, there's already programs coming up that A-B test emails and can reply to emails and can handle that whole thing. 
you yeah. know, via understand bot, what the so. value, understand what your value is as a person, uh, as a, as a professional. And it's, it's never been about like, I don't think it's like for salespeople, I don't think it's ever been about like, just like how clever are you with emails? It's, I, it's always been about like your business acumen. Are you demonstrating personal and professional growth? And, you know, are you a good team player? And it's, it's kind of hard to demonstrate some of those things when you basically are not talking on the phone at all during the day. and You're just like hammering out emails. So I think, unfortunately, sales development managers do their teams and their individuals a huge disservice by not teaching them really effectively how to sell. And selling is about communication. It's about you know, asking the right questions. It's about creating the need, finding a compelling event. It's all that good stuff that we know about selling that you, you aren't you're not building a bench for your sales organization if you're just encouraging your sales development reps to effectively behave as marketers. Nothing wrong with marketing. Don't get me, I love marketing. But it's just, you know, we need salespeople to develop into salespeople. That is such great advice. And I was going to ask you, say, put yourself in the shoes of your average sales development rep whose leadership team, you know, may or may not have figured out all these things. They, they don't have a Russ Hurl on the team. So there's probably a few gaps in the whole process. So from, you know, sitting in the shoes as an SDR, I think you gave some great advice. You know, it's basically your business acumen, your professional growth, being a team player, you know, learning to communicate and build trust, those those sales skills that you need, those are what's going to drive your career in the future, right? I get asked all the time from members of, of my teams, like, well, what do I need to do to demonstrate those skills? And and I always say it's a mixture of you know, classroom training and in-field exercise. Like there's a lot of repetition in what we do. And if you are learning through that repetition and not making the same mistakes uh, too, too often, it'll be obvious to your leadership that you are traversing that learning curve. And as long as leadership is investing in you as an individual, as a professional, and most importantly, you're investing in yourself and demonstrating that, hey, you you have a desire to be a student of the game. You're reading books uh, on sales development, on stakeholder mapping and management, uh, on you know just business concepts. If you're an enterprise sales development rep, if you're reading 10Ks and 10Qs to try to find initiatives for you to weave into your pitches, that's a clear sign that, hey, you're taking the effort to develop yourself. And as a leader, that tells me like, okay, you're serious about this. Then therefore, I'm going to spend the time helping you get to where you want to be. Um, and, you know, that inevitably revolves around having conversations, uh, increasing the sophistication of those conversations with people in the market, with prospects. If you're just sending emails you're not going to have those swings. And it's going to be really hard for someone like myself to say, like, to even be be able to see like that learning curve, you advancing along that learning curve. So I, I think sales development managers are doing their SDRs a disservice if they're um, structuring the jobs in a way where they can't witness that type of evolution of that sales development rep. Because most of those SDRs, you know, they want to become account executives like within two months. Right. Of course, that never <laughs> that's not that's not realistic. But um, the one surefire way for you, if you're an SDR to 
to get promoted faster is invest in yourself, have great conversations with people on the phone, of course, be a great team player. And, you know, those things are the, the building blocks for getting promoted and, and getting a shot at the next stage. I love it. And a great way to do that is listen to the Sales Development Podcast, especially I'm thinking the Ralph Barcy episode and the Sean Shepard episode were amazing. Just a great self-study guide for any SDR that wants to get ahead. So I would agree. I I was meeting with Ralph recently and out in London because he has a, a large team out there as well. And that guy is definitely spot on with a lot of his points. I mean, he has a huge team of SDRs in it's like six different offices around the world. And so he sees a lot at, at a at a level that few SDR leaders have the chance to see because of the size and scope of uh, his team. So, uh, but it's been a pleasure to speak with you today, David. Yeah, we, we're coming up on the top of the hour. Russ, this has been amazing. Um, I think anybody from senior leadership to the SDR level are going to get a ton of value out of this conversation. Um, I just appreciate your time so much and uh, best of luck with everything at PatSnap and, and sharing all this great information with us. You're very welcome, David. Thanks for the opportunity. All right, Russ.